Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Great. Um, the, the last few um, months has been an interesting time in our lives, and um, uh, when we decided we were going to be relocating to Cape Town, um, it began what has been six, seven, eight months of moving, and uh, it's just getting rid of stuff. And uh, one of the things which um, I've learned in the last year or so is that most of what I have, I actually don't need. Um, a guy called David Henry Toro, uh, 150 years ago, said this. He said, uh, not only do we not need most of what we have, um, they actually get it, it actually gets in the way of our happiness. Yeah. And I've uh, joyfully uh, waved goodbye to many, many things in the last uh, couple of months. Um, and it's just been, been a great, great space to be in. Um, and it's, it's maybe a little bit of a challenge to, to many of you out there, which goes something like this. You need to declutter your lives. And uh, a lot of what you've got is cluttering your lives. I'll just put it out there. You know, so. But there is one thing that I don't think I can declutter. Um, it just means too much. Um, and if Apple computers um, brought out a shoe, I would buy the shoe. When it comes to Apple, um, oh, man. And I just recently saw the, the little, um, the new um, advert with the new Apple Mac, this lovely gold-plated, not gold-plated, gold-painted. And my heart goes, oh. Um, you know, there's an advert on TV many, many years ago where the guy's in trouble and uh, uh, his wife has left him and taken all the furniture and he's just got his sound system in this big room. And uh, somehow for me that would be freedom. It's this thing called Apple. Um, Apple is, um, is an incredible movement. When something new comes out from Apple, people camp out um, near Apple stores to be the first to get it sometimes two, three days. As of a couple of months ago, I don't know whether it's changed since then, um, Apple was the most valuable company in the world. Google had become the most valuable brand, but Apple still the most valuable company in the world. Um, founded by Steve Jobs and uh, Wozniak about 30-odd um, years ago, strange partnership um, in a garage, um, off some somewhat stolen ideas, I know they'd hate me for saying that, but uh, uh, opportunistic. Uh, Jobs saw some good stuff out there that people weren't using, and he actually came back. He said, if if only they knew what they had. And so began this Apple movement, um, and uh, it's it's such a powerful brand. Uh, He he said something uh, about 20-odd years ago. He says, here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the round pegs in square holes, the ones who see things differently. Uh, you can quote them, agree with them, vilify them, but the only thing you can't do is ignore them. Don't you want to be part of that? Eh? These people change our world, he says. And, and so we have this brand, which is a movement, um, which people know. It's got a sense of identity to it. Um, like I say, started by these guys, um, big dreams, Bold decisions, 
through some failures, um, close to bankruptcy, 1997, uh, today the most valuable company. And there's a movement around it. Cool. Now, one of the most amazing or the biggest movement that we've ever, ever seen makes Apple fade into insignificance. Because about 2,000 years ago, a movement started that has never, ever, ever, ever been able to be quenched. And I think to myself, I wonder how similar it is to Apple or to the Googles or to the other movements that we have in the world. Women's right, this movement, that movement. But 2,000 odd years ago, a movement started that turned the world upside down to the extent that our calendar is based on when this movement started. So if you were wanting to start a movement, it's probably not a bad idea to see how this movement began. If you had to, if you had to, if you had to um, start a movement, what movement would you start? Interesting little question. Yeah. And if you wanted to start this movement, um, find out how the most amazing, incredible, number one movement in the world started 2,000 years ago. This is how it started. And tell me whether you would start it this way. The Gospel of John is, uh, is probably my favorite of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, talk very much about the message of Messiah, Jesus. John talks about the heart of Messiah. John ends off his gospel with uh, these words. He says, um, I could have told you so many stories because the world isn't big enough to contain all the stories. He doesn't quite say this, but he says, therefore, these are the ones I've chosen. So I would imagine that whatever stories he chose in John must be pretty important because he had a whole library he could choose from. John begins uh, with scripture we all probably know, for those of you who are well-versed in, in the Bible, uh, the, the first few verses of John are, uh, are on posters. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And we get 12 verses which probably just, like I say, we know. And then we, begin, we get the beginning of this movement. John says to us that there's this guy called John. And, uh, and the people thought John was trying to create a movement. And it would seem that in those days, if you were creating a movement, you had to either be Elijah, Moses, or one of those guys. Because they came to John and they said, uh, uh, are, you, are you Elijah? Or are you the one who's promised? And John says, no, 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 I'm, I'm none of those. But he says, someone is coming whom I'm not worthy to take off his shoes. And one day, as Jesus comes along, he says to two of his disciples, Behold the Lamb. Now, here's where it gets so funny. Now, for those of you who, who think the Bible is, is the most amazing, amazing book ever written, um, I totally agree with you. And at the same token, I put in these words, it's the most absurd book ever written. And that's what makes it so believable. 
is it's almost unbelievable. Because listen to the story. So these two guys are with John, who's this hot shot, being challenged, who are you? He says, behold, the Lamb of God. And these two guys drop everything and follow Jesus. Don't you find that weird? And here's where it gets even weirder. They don't go to Jesus and say, what is your manifesto? What is your vision? What do they do? They go to him and say, where are you staying? He says, come and see. All right? Andrew and probably Philip is the other guy. Definitely Andrew. They go and stay with Jesus. And the next day, they're all excited, and they go to a guy called um, Simon. And they say, we have found the one who was promised. How weird is that? Ever think to yourself, I wonder what happened? Hey? Tell me, um, would you change the path of your life based on a night with a rabbi who says, come and see? That's the interesting part. This movement started with intimacy. Now, Jesus maybe did some serious miracles there for them, but I actually absolutely probably doubt that. The home is the place of vulnerability. I would possibly suspect that many of the rabbis in those days didn't even take their people to the home. Maybe a place of aloofness. This rabbi says, come see. The movement starts in a home with intimacy. And possibly what's there is a table with some bread and wine. Oh, John, why don't you tell us more? Let's remember, John's not sure. He's got a whole library of stories, and he starts off with a simple story. Come and see. What we do here on a Sunday is essential and important. Worship, as we've already heard. But the starting point of what this represents is intimacy. Simple, vulnerable intimacy, probably around a table. Have you heard of a movement that changed the world upside down with just simply two guys visiting a rabbi? This gets even weirder. So these guys go to, um, go to Simon. Simon, we found Messiah. Can you imagine Simon saying, how do you know that? Oh, we spent the night with him. What? And just imagine Simon Peter, just how he would respond to this. Are you guys daft smoking? Show me him. So they go. He goes to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says to him, Simon, that will no longer be your name. 
your name will now be Peter. Peter falls down and says, I'm going to follow you. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I went to Barry and I said, Barry, uh, by the way, I'm going to change your name. Um, Barry is now going to be John. And Barry goes, oh, fantastic, I'm following you. But here's an interesting point. Um, Whenever a name was changed in the Bible, it represented so much more than a name. It represented a change of story. Abram, his name was changed to Abraham. You will be the father of many many nations. Change of story. Um, Jacob was uh, changed to Israel, the one who wrestles with God. Saul, his name was changed to Paul, the one who is sent to the Gentiles. The changing of the name represented a changing of the story I see in you. This Messiah starts a movement that turns our world upside down, first of all, through intimacy. Secondly, by just demonstrating or showing there's a different story. What do you and I really do um, in the world? Uh, We tell people there's a different story. There's the story you believe about yourself. And then there's a different story. Um, In actual fact, we're just storytellers. Can I share with you a different story? And it comes to the intimacy of the name. This is who you are. Yeah? So our movement is about intimacy, the home. Our movement is about a story. Let's keep down this daft road. So now they get excited and they go and find a guy called Nathaniel. And they say to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, we have found Messiah. What does Nathaniel do? He becomes immediately cynical because he knows where Jesus comes from and he says nothing good can come from that place, from Nazareth. So here we're dealing with a cynic. Here we're dealing with somebody who's maybe not going to be as easy as these other guys. Or so we think. So Jesus approaches him and he says these words to him. Here is a true Israelite in whom there is no wrong. Nathaniel melts and says, how do you know me? And Jesus says to him, I saw you while you were still under the tree. And what does this dude do? Drops everything and follows. <laughs> oh, man, what is going on here? Now, again, I spoke on this many, many years ago, but just quickly touch on it. Either Jesus has spoken something so prophetic over Nathaniel, because the tree he was sitting under was hidden around walls and he couldn't be seen, and Nathaniel's really aghast saying, you know, how did you do that? Or it's actually something just so simple. Because Jesus himself says to Nathaniel, he says, what? You believing me because of that? He says, wait till you see what happens. And is it possible that the movement that you and I 
celebrate started on something as simple as, I notice you. Do you notice in a stranger? Have you ever been to said to a stranger, wow, that is just that smile of yours is just so amazing. And what do they do? Yeah. Do you notice in the people that you work with? Just, hey, I just want to tell you, I notice this. I notice. Um, it's quite easy. Um, let, let me pick on a couple of people from Conversation Church because I've gotten to know some of them over the years. Um, I notice in Barry the most incredible ability to tell stories. So I ask Barry to tell you some stories. Whenever we have Conversation Church, he'll say, this reminds me of something. And it just expands. I notice in John, someone who is rather quiet at times, but when he speaks, the sense of authority you know, makes you sit up on your chair and you listen. I notice in Anne the most incredible, soft love for Jesus. Oh, here's some of my conversational people here. I have too many of them. Bernadette. All right. I notice in Bernadette a a gentleness couched with much jewels. And she won't say much, but when she says it, you hear. All right? Do you notice in people? Have you ever gone to them and just said, hey, I notice this? So was the impact of Jesus is noticing that Nathaniel drops everything he does and says, following you. Is it possible that many, many rabbis walked past him and never noticed? See, again, we can have a glorious church service. But if there isn't intimacy, if there isn't the story, this is the story. A guy called Johann Goth, famous German philosopher, said this. He said, treat a man the way he is and he will remain the way he is. Treat away the man he can become and that's what he will become. Are you and I those type of people? We look at each other and see the story. Look at Neil and I see the story that's there. We notice. That's how you got to be here today. That's not how Apple was founded. No mission statements. No big stuff. Come to my home. This is your name. I notice. So let's just go a little bit into John 2 and we'll land the plane. So surely something's going to happen now. So John 2 starts off with uh, the wedding feast. Some of us might know it. Jesus and his disciples. I, I find that quite interesting. John says Jesus and his disciples are invited to the wedding feast. And uh, it goes horribly wrong when the wine runs out. Jesus' mother comes to him and says, um, they've run out of wine. I find the response of Jesus so funny. He says, woman, my time has not yet come. The next line that appears goes something like this. Mary says to them, do whatever he says you to do. I don't actually get Jesus agreeing to what Mary's doing here. Did you like, yeah, you know, it's like, Hello? Woman, my time has not yet come. And then Mary just says, uh, do what he says you must do. So, so there must have been a bit of a conversation taking place here. 
But imagine starting a movement and it's just, no, my time's not yet come. Imagine being offered to be on the front of Forbes magazine and you go, no, time's not yet come. Any movement, any movement today would say, I want to be on there. I want to get my idea right. No, not this Messiah. I find it quite interesting. Um, he who had no constraints or limitations knew his limitations. Now, that doesn't make any sense. Jesus, who had no limitations, understood and got his limitations. I love the word purpose. There's been some great stuff written about purpose, and, and I push purpose and stuff that I do. But you know, sometimes it's nice to be at that point where you say, my time's not yet come. Sometimes we are so going, going, going from a place of purpose which is good. But we also haven't learned our own limitations which go, not now. You see, this movement is not about burning people out. I heard a guy say something a few months ago and it just really... Connected with me. He says, before you can say no, you first need to say yes. What does he mean by that? What is it you're saying yes to so that you can confidently say no? To do good in the world is not to do all the good in the world. It's to know what it is that you're about and to realize that you have limitations. I love the fact that this movement isn't started on you are supermen. And Jesus actually, my time's not yet come. I'm okay with that. Ah, but what I love about this is Messiah is obviously influenceable. Oh, how do I say this? He can be, not influential, he can be influenced. This great leader is okay to somehow change the plan. It's funny, when I have a good idea, I think my idea needs to be it. Messiah was okay to be influenced. By who? His mother. Because the Torah that he read said, honor your father and mother. Live a long life. It's as if it's loose tight. It's, no, my time's not yet come. I know my limitations. There must be this little conversation which takes place. John doesn't fill us in on it. And Messiah says, okay. I've learned some of the best times in my life are where I go, okay. Okay. I don't have to be right. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. Certainly not what we see in most leaders who start good, strong movements. This is about me. He goes, okay. But the disciples love the fact that he turned the water into wine. And uh, John says this is the first sign that he did. 
And they must have got excited saying, yes, we gave up everything. And at least if it goes really, really bad, we know we'll drink. (laughs) Because look what this guy can do. But they must have got a sense of excitement. This movement is going somewhere. And then what follows in John 2 must have really got them excited because this is the militant guy we need. Because what happens next? Jesus goes up to the Passover and he chases the people out of the temple. Yes, now we're moving. Now we're beginning to make a scene. And Jesus um, gets questioned and Probably rightfully so. You know, for you to chase people out the temple means you must seriously have credentials. Because who does that? Imagine I go to Parliament and I chase everybody out of Parliament. (laughs) (sighs) Shouting, pay back the money. (laughs) But imagine... That would cause a serious stir. We're doing something more provocative than chasing people out of parliament here. This is the temple. And here comes this guy and he chases them out. The disciples maybe get excited. This movement is going to go the way we think it should go, which is force, which is... And rightfully so, the people, the Pharisees, come to him and they say, show us a sign that you can actually do this, that you... You are, you've got the credentials to do this. Now, here's a wonderful opportunity for Jesus to just put it out there. What does he do? He says this to them. He says, um, this is a sign I'll give you. I'll destroy, this in three, I'll destroy this and rebuild it in three days. And the verse that follows goes something like this. He was talking about his death. And when he rose from the dead, his disciples remembered this. So let's just get what's going on here. For three, four years, or three years, they walked in absolute confusion as to those words. Is this how movements are created through absolute ambiguity? I'm going to put something out there, and, and in actual fact, I know you guys aren't going to get it, and I'm absolutely comfortable that you don't get it. Hey? Imagine Steve Jobs, uh, the late Steve Jobs, having got on the podium and says, here's the latest Apple stuff. Uh, by the way, guys, uh, none of you will know, have a clue how to use it. <laughs> but buy it. You go, you're crazy. So in these movements, everything's about trying to bring clarity, not with Jesus. A couple of years later, it suddenly makes sense to them. So for three years, he was absolutely okay that you didn't get it. Yeah. This movement is actually, it's not about, hear what I'm saying today and you better get it. It's like the sower, puts that seed, use it. In time. It begins to grow. It seems as if in this movement you need a lot of patience. God is working. Just be 
And so finally, chapter 2 ends with this. A lot of people began to follow Jesus because of the miracles that started to take place. The Bible says to us that Jesus looked at them and that didn't move him at all. Because he says, I know what is in the heart of man and I don't need validation from men. This movement was not about validation pleasing. It was founded on something so much greater outside of ourselves. So let's try and sum this up and then we'll... You and I sit here today, you and I are followers of Jesus because of the greatest thing that ever happened about 2,000 years ago. It did not start like Apple. It did not start like Google. It did not start like Chevrolet. It did not start like the Sharks. It started, first of all, with intimacy. Above all, what we do is founded around a table. May we never, ever forget that. When we are intimate with each other, we do church. When we talk. It started because um, of a change story. That's the simplicity of our message. We share the different story. The mystery that Paul writes about. We notice in people. We know how to go. Limitations. We know how to be influenced as well. Not hard-headed people. It's okay if not everybody hears and understands what we're doing. We just put it out there. Three years later, they understood. It's not about pleasing man. So no wonder Jesus ends off the Lord's Prayer by saying, For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's a kingdom that's not like any other kingdom. Yeah? And because of that kingdom, we are empowered to not get offended when somebody doesn't agree with me. To notice. To just simply be. That's the kingdom that we're in. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Forever and ever, amen. May we never compare our following of Jesus to that which is in the world, because it's totally different. It's another kingdom. So um, I've said a lot in in a few words, I think. Um, But hopefully for each of you, there's something there. For some of you, maybe... Hey, you need to find that intimacy again with people. For some of you, maybe it's about start noticing. Nothing is more powerful than noticing. For some of you, it might be about um, reconnecting with a story, sharing the story. For some of you, it might be about understanding limitations. For some of you, it might be actually about being influenced. 
But some of you might be okay with the ambiguity. In three years' time, I'll get this. All right? And for all of us, it's probably very, very much, um, it's about his kingdom. And this is a hard one because we all want validation from people. But oh, the freedom when it's not about them. Yeah. May you walk in this kingdom. May you know the enormity of this kingdom. May this kingdom grow in you like a mustard seed, like Jesus said. May you discover the gold of this kingdom in the soil. May this kingdom, this movement, excite you. Just in its simplicity, yet its powerfulness. May you know how great and wide is the love of the Father for us within this.